your regularly scheduled program for a special announcement. The United States is headed for an entitlement crisis. Social Security and Medicare are going broke. You are going to have to pay the bill. You are going to have to pay the bill. Welcome to the Debt Dialogues, where you'll learn about the coming entitlement crisis, how it affects you, and what you can do about it. Debt Dialogues. Here's your host, Ayn Rand Institute Fellow, Don Watkins. My guest today is Michael Cannon. Michael is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and he has been called Obamacare's most relentless antagonist. So I wanted to have him on to talk about Obamacare and, in particular, how it will affect young Americans in the years ahead. Michael, welcome to the Debt Dialogues. Thanks for having me. Before we get into Obamacare itself, I want to ask a broader question, which is, you know, we hear a lot of different things on uh, about medical issues uh, we hear a lot of conflicting facts, a lot of complex arguments. How do you think about health care? What sort of principles do you follow and what sort of errors do you see people making? Wow, that's a really big question. So uh, let's let's see if we can bite you know take take some bite-sized pieces off here. So the way I approach health care is the way I approach all public policies, really twofold. you know what is, what is the proper role of government in society? And I think that the answer to that is because government operates by using force or the threat of physical force, the only moral way to use that or the only uh, moral reason to use that is to stop physical violence that's been initiated by someone else. And, uh, and, some level of taxation is morally justifiable for that reason. And so so when I apply that principle to healthcare, I say, all right, well, then as long as what individuals are doing is peaceful, they should be able to do whatever they want. They should be able to buy whatever sort of health insurance plan they want. They should be able to take whatever sort of medicine they want. They should be able to refuse both. Um, and if... And there is an, a, an appropriate role for government to provide people recourse if they're injured by others. So if a physician operates on the wrong part of your body, that's really a, that's a, that's a battery you didn't consent to. You should be able to take them to court over that. Uh, that's important for reducing violence in society because that gives people an alternative to a violent response uh, when those sorts of things happen. And, and so... I see the proper role of government in the healthcare sector, the economy, as being a very minimal one. In other words, not a, a special role. It should be playing a role, but uh, the role should be no different than the role it plays in other areas of the economy. And that's how I sort of approach it from a moral standpoint. But there's also that other way of, uh, of approaching this issue, which is more utilitarian. What is going to produce the most healthcare and the best healthcare and and, and bring it within the reach of, of the most people, particularly the most vulnerable people in society. And I find that the answer to that question is the same as the answer to the first question. If the government uh, plays a minimal role in the health sector, just lets people conduct their affairs the way that they choose, free to run their own lives and make their own decisions as long as they're not harming anyone else, then not only are we a freer society, is there less violence in society, but we get more and better health care. The market process works in health care when the government allows it to work. It makes stuff better, it makes stuff more affordable, and it brings health care 
within the reach of the people we care about the most, the most vulnerable people in society, the poor and the sick, and it and it allows them to provide for themselves. Um, it allows more people to provide for themselves yes today than could yesterday, and by driving prices downward, markets make it easier for the rest of us to provide health care to those who cannot provide it for themselves. So those are those are the, the that's that's how I approach healthcare in general. There's certainly lots of specifics we could get into. Well, I mean, people would say that's a nice story, but that's exactly why we needed Obamacare because the market wasn't producing those outcomes you're talking about. And my response to that is, what country are you looking at you know, where the, where they're letting markets work? Because if, that has not described the United States. In uh, in over a hundred years, and 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 I mean, and we're talking about before medicine was really on average beneficial. You know, it wasn't until a hundred years ago that they say that a randomly selected patient with a randomly selected illness walking into a randomly selected doctor's office uh, had a better than fifty-fifty chance of benefiting from the encounter. So ever since medicine has really been worth it. The government has been playing a very heavy role. It began with licensing in the early part of the 20th century. That drove up the cost of health care, priced it out of reach for the people we care about the most. It inhibited, uh, and I think that even though the stated reason for licensing is to improve quality, I think it inhibited the quality of care because it blocked competition from health, from different ways of delivering medicine like integrated uh, what we call integrated health plans like Kaiser Permanente that have a lot of benefits to offer in terms of quality. And, uh, and, and so quality at best did not improve and the cost went up. So then, then the government decided that it was going to favor employer-sponsored insurance. So we didn't get an innovative individual market. We get a very stunted individual market. And the way the government favored employer-sponsored insurance not only left people with lousy insurance, it disappears when you get sick and can't work anymore, but it also drive, drove up the cost of health care further. Then a couple decades later, when people are retiring and cannot uh, and, and can't keep their employer-sponsored insurance, insurance they, because they've got a health fund that disappears when they stop working, we had a lot of 65-year-olds who didn't have health insurance. Well, then the government said, okay, we'll create a Medicare program for them. Medicare drove up uh, uh, health care spending even further, priced it out of reach for a lot more people, and also inhibited the quality of care. And there's just this cascading series of government interventions that have made, that have given government uh, uh, as much control over health care here in the United States as in other advanced countries that have had so-called universal coverage for a long time. And, you know, the difference is that we just get a different set of bad outcomes. But for some reason, uh, for some reason, people look at the healthcare sector in the United States and say that's a free market, even though now government controls 50 cent, 50 percent of the spending directly, 50 cents on the dollar uh, of every dollar that we spend on health care. Uh, comes from government, uh, and the government controls a lot of the other 50 cents as nominally private. So it doesn't make any sense to me that people uh, that uh, would call the United States healthcare sector a free market. The the high costs and the quality problems that we see 
are directly attributable to government intervention. It's not to say that markets would be perfect. If markets were perfect, if, if life were perfect, we wouldn't have anything to do all day. We, this is, we need the market process because these are very difficult questions. There's no such thing as perfection when it comes to any, uh, when it comes to health care. No way of designing health care is going to be flawless. But we need the market process to find those innovations that make healthcare better, that make it more affordable, so that we can be making constant progress over time and filling in the cracks of our healthcare sector so that fewer people fall through. Yeah, and I encourage listeners, we had a discussion with John Cochran about a, a bunch more ways in which government was wrecking the market process in healthcare. And so that kind of sets the context for when we get to Obamacare. So I want to ask, what is Obamacare and what problems was it supposed to solve? Well, Obamacare is a, was supposed to solve really all the problems that the previous government interventions created, the problems of pre-existing conditions. That is a problem that is fueled by the government's favoring of employer-sponsored health insurance. Again, a type of health insurance that disappears when you get sick and cannot work anymore. A lot of those a lot of the people who found themselves in that situation would then go to a, a health insurance company on what we call the individual market. They would try to buy a health plan and find that the, because they were already sick, the premiums were unaffordable. So, uh, so that is that is the main problem that Obamacare tries to solve. Is a problem that government didn't it didn't really create because that's how markets are supposed to work. They're supposed to price health insurance according to risk but a problem the government wildly exacerbated by picking by, by backing that horse of employer sponsored insurance and that's really the centerpiece of obamacare the what the we call the community rating price controls that tell insurance companies you must charge sick people no more than you charge healthy people of a given age and the rest of obamacare is and so basically the same to the insurance company. We don't care if this person costs four hundred thousand dollars a year for you to insure. You can only charge them a ten thousand dollar premium. The rest of Obamacare is pretty much a, a long train of provisions designed to keep or designed to fix the the unintended consequences and all the other problems created by that one centerpiece. The Price controls that Obamacare places on health insurance. You've got because the insurance companies, uh, when you tell insurance companies they have to charge healthy and sick people the same, that's going to cause premiums to rise for healthy people. So to keep the healthy people from trying to leave the market, the Obama administration included an individual mandate in Obamacare that forces them to stay in the market because both the community rating price controls and the individual mandate drive up the cost of health insurance, the health insurance that is now mandatory, they had to include massive subsidies for people to help them afford this mandatory health insurance. And then because the community rating price controls create incentives for insurers to avoid those $400,000 patients, because after all, they're only collecting a $10,000 premium from each. And if they, if an insurance plan comes to be known as providing the best coverage for those $400,000 patients, they'll get flooded with them and they'll go out of business. 
uh, Obamacare then has all sorts of regulations designed to prevent insurance companies from doing exactly what those community rating price controls force them to do, which is engage in a race to the bottom to see who can provide the worst coverage for the sickest patients. Because, if, again, if you're caught providing the best coverage for the sickest patients, they're all going to enroll in your plan and you're going to go out of business. Uh, there are all sorts of reinsurance provisions that tax all insurance companies and give money to give the money to those that got the sickest patients. They exist to try to counteract that dynamic that I mentioned. People have been recently calling those those reinsurance provisions a bailout. Uh, really, all of Obamacare is a bailout for the insurance companies uh, to try to keep them from going out of business. Uh, uh, I, after Obamacare imposes those community rating price controls on them. So it's it's this great big complicated mess. It's still not certain that Obamacare is going to survive, and it all exists. The reason we have Obamacare is not because markets have failed. It's because governments have failed. It's because government has created all of these problems that Obamacare is now trying to solve. Yeah, I want to wait a little bit more into the mess in a second, but can you just say a few more words about how pre-existing conditions would be dealt with in uh, in a free market? There would be fewer of them because people would be able to buy secure health insurance that stays with them when they get sick. Their premiums don't go up when they get sick. And were it not for government interventions, we would have, and that's what we have right now in the individual market. Research has shown that if you get covered before Obamacare, anyway, if you got covered, if you had, uh, if you were a person with a high cost medical condition and you had coverage through the individual market, you were less likely to end up uninsured than someone with a high cost medical condition who had employer sponsored insurance. So the market was providing more secure coverage to the people we care about the most than the type of insurance that the government was backing. We, so that's what we have now. We would have more secure health insurance for people uh, who become sick they're pre- uh, because they got sick. But we would also have other innovations that would make health insurance and medical care even better for the sickest patients. Instead of the perverse race to the bottom incentives in Obamacare, we would have insurance companies competing to see who could provide the best coverage for the sickest patients. Uh, a couple of years ago, a professor from the University of Chicago named John Cochran wrote a paper for the Cato Institute where he described exactly how this would work. Basically, if an ins- what insurance companies do right now is they they collect what is essentially t- two premiums when you buy health insurance directly from an insurance company. The first premium covers the the risk that you're going to need medical care this year. The second part of the premium covers the risk that you're going to get a chronic condition this year that would increase your premiums next year. And they use that second part of the premium to cover the cost of you, uh, uh, to cover the cost of those who get uh, chronic condition this year so that their premiums won't rise any higher than or any faster than anyone else's. And what John Cochran has said is, look, once you've done that, it should be fairly straightforward to then give those patients who get a chronic expensive chronic condition the option of a cash payout so that you can 
you can offer them a health insurance plan with a total satisfaction guarantee. You can say to them, look, sign up for our health plan. Your premiums will never go up just because you got sick. And if for any reason you are not satisfied with the coverage that you receive, we will give you a cash payout, the present value of the difference between how much it costs to insure you and how much it costs to insure a standard risk for the rest of your life. One big cash payout to cover that 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 difference in the, in you between your premiums and standard premiums, and then that would enable the sickest patients to leave their to fire their health insurance plan if that plan was not treating them well, and pick any plan that they like. And the new plan, the new health insurance company would be happy to have them because this person would be sitting on a mountain of money and would be able to uh, afford whatever premiums that that new insurance company charged them. These are the sorts of innovations that we would see if we didn't have Obamacare, if we didn't have government favoring the uh, favoring employer-sponsored insurance, if we didn't have Medicare. We wouldn't need Medicare because these sorts of innovations would provide secure health insurance all the way you know, through retirement to death. So what have been, what do we know about the effects of Obamacare so far, its successes, its failures, and then we can talk uh, after that about the prospects going forward. What do we know about Obamacare so far? Right. Is that the question? Yeah. Well, we know, we, we know that it was uh, sold uh, with a lot of false promises. One of them was that, you know, if you like your health plan, you can keep it. A lot of people were very happy with the health plans that they had, and Obamacare canceled those plans for millions of Americans. We were told that it would reduce health insurance premiums by $2,500 per family, and it has not done so. In fact, it's increased premiums. Some people have seen the premiums come down. The very sickest patients have seen premiums come down. But the um, uh, but the majority of, uh, of those who've been affected have seen their premiums rise, and some people have seen them double or even triple. We also know that the quality of the coverage is not what we were promised because a lot of people are finding that their doctors are not available and that in the exchange to the hospital that they want to, um, for which they want to have coverage, is not, you know, does not participate in any Obamacare plans, and so the costs are higher, and the and the quality of the coverage is worse than we were promised, and that's before we get to the impact on the federal deficit and and so forth. I think that the the cost of this thing is going to be much higher than than was expected because this is how these things work. The cost of government programs always exceed initial projections, with the one exception being the Medicare Part D program, uh, but I, I, I think that's the exception that proves the rule. And that was the prescription drug benefit, correct? That's correct. Now, uh, that's not what the president or the defenders of Obamacare say. I mean, the, they'll say that it's actually lowering premiums for people. What is that? What is that based on? Well, there's a lot of complicated effects. Obamacare affects different people in different ways, and so it is. They're right. You know, some people are seeing their premiums come down. And those are the sickest patients that we were talking about, people who couldn't afford health insurance uh, at any price because no one would offer them health insurance. They were so sick. 
they are now able to purchase health insurance through an Obamacare exchange at controlled, at government-controlled prices. And so for them, the cost of health insurance has come down. The overall cost of health insurance has not come down. It has gone up because it's covering health insur- insurance is now covering those people that it wasn't covering before. And that has to be that cost has to be met in some way. And it's being met in a number of ways. One of them is it's, it's being shifted to taxpayers. A lot of the cost of uh, Obamacare plans is being paid by taxpayers, about a trillion dollars over the first 10 years. Um, although it should be much less because the president is not authorized to spend about two-thirds of the money he's spending in Obamacare exchanges, but we can get into that later. A lot of the cost is also is being picked up by healthy people because the way that Obamacare reduces premiums for the sick is by increasing them for the healthy. And so a lot of that cost is being uh, shifted, to, uh, shifted to healthy consumers. And so... so that's where we find the people who are seeing their premiums rise. So the president can say some people are seeing their premiums fall, and he's right, but that's not what's happening uh, overall. That That is not an accurate picture of what's happening overall under Obamacare. Overall spending is increasing. Average premiums are increasing, and premiums are increasing for the vast majority of those affected. How would you answer the argument that says – that, look, we're all going to get old and sick one day. So you can look at it as, you know, young and healthy people are having to subsidize the sickest people. But what you'll often hear the response says, no, what we're doing is really kind of spreading out the cost overall so that you're paying a little bit more when you're younger and less when you're older. And isn't that, you know, in the public interest? Well, they often make pleads to... to, principles of insurance, but in a way that makes it clear that they don't understand how insurance really works. Because while they are correct that insurance works best when you have a lot of people in the pool, insurance does not work at all when you have low risks subsidizing high risks. Because someone who is a high risk Someone or, or, or someone who already has a pre-existing condition is uh, is not insurable. If they already had it, if they bought health insurance, if they bought insurance before they developed that condition, well, then that was insurable. That was a risk. But once that risk is materialized, it's not insurable anymore. What you're doing is you're just transferring money from one person to another. And yes, there is truth to what you say about you want to be paying in more when you're young so that you can take it out when you're old. But that is not how, uh, but the way Obamacare does it is not how uh, insurance principles work. Obamacare just takes that money straight from the young and gives it to the old. It's a, it's a, it's a transfer. It's a subsidy. It's not insurance. The way insurance works is the insurer will collect premiums from the uh, from the young and he- from 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 consumers, all the consumers within a pool, and those who needed medical care this year would get uh, would the insurance company would pay their claims. They'd pay it from the first part of the premium that I discussed before, and for those who got a chronic condition in that first period, the insurance companies would use 
part of the money they part of the second premium part of the uh, premium that they collected from uh, everyone in the pool to help cover the added costs of those people in future years. And it's that second part where, uh, of the premium that the insurance company is really banking and using to p- cover those people who develop chronic conditions for the rest of those folks' lives. The insurance companies save that money in order to, uh, to cover those long-term costs. That's not what is happening under Obamacare. Under Obamacare, it's just your uh, every year you're just transferring money from healthy to uh, uh, from young and healthy to older and sicker people. You're not building up reserves the way uh, the way insurance companies do in a free market, and which is, I think, a more responsible way of doing this. In fact, one of the things we saw as Obamacare was rolling out was insurance companies dipping into their reserves and and, and dissipating them because they didn't need to hold on to their reserves anymore. They didn't need this market innovation uh, that we call guaranteed renewability. Uh, and, and, they didn't, and, the, and the reserves that, that make it possible, be, because Obamacare had substituted these community rating price controls for that market innovation. So in North Carolina, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina gave rebates to their subscribers from those guaranteed renewability reserves from the uh, and when you think about it this is really perverse that was money that the insurance companies had set aside to help provide medical care to their sickest enrollees and what yet what they did thanks to Obamacare Obamacare led them to give that money away to the healthy people uh, in uh, in Blue Cross Blue Shields insurance pool. They took money that was earmarked for sick people and gave it away to healthy people. So that's, it's, it's a perversion of insurance. Obamacare is a perversion of insurance principles. It doesn't follow insurance principles. So, I mean, we both agree that ultimately the best system for healthcare is a fully free market, but what would you say are the top one or three short-term things that or at least vaguely politically feasible that you would recommend um, the policy world to embrace? What's politically feasible in healthcare? Let's say uh, it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but over the next, let's say, you know, three to five years. Well, I think the, the, the most politically feasible thing that Congress can do to improve healthcare in the United States is to repeal Obamacare. And really, there's very little that Congress can do uh, that will improve health care until it repeals Obamacare. And we still have one of the two major parties that is committed to doing that. We have uh, – it, it seems like there's you – know, the, the, the Democrats are in lockstep against efforts to repeal it, but some – Democrats have shown a willingness to reopen the law. We have an election coming up. Who knows? But that's the that's the uh, number one thing that Congress should do. And I do think it is politically feasible, even though it's difficult. It would certainly be difficult, especially with President Obama wielding the veto pen. Now, what else could be done? Well, outside of that, and and and, some, and this is something that could uh, accomplish almost as much good, I guess, is if Congress were to reform the Medicare program. So that it looks like more more like Social Security, where instead of giving seniors a 
government-defined package of benefits and an, an open-ended entitlement to subsidies for whatever health care they and their doctor want to order up. The federal government instead says, look, every we're going to spend a fixed amount of, Medicare, uh, of, of tech, the taxpayer's money on Medicare every year, and we are not going to engage in government rationing because what we're going to do is we're going to give that we're going to give the money to seniors in cat in the form of cash, just like Social Security does. We're going to give sicker seniors more bigger Medicare checks. We're going to give low-income seniors bigger Medicare checks. And then once we do that, they can spend that however they want. They can buy a whatever health plan they want. They can choose not to buy a health plan. They they can see whatever doctor they want. The government won't have to ration care because seniors will ration care themselves. In fact, they will be incredibly smart and careful and savvy consumers of health care, and they will demand higher quality and lower cost health care, and we will see the market process starting to work in health care, pushing down prices and pushing quality upward. It's not, it's not a perfect system, but it is uh, it is far less imperfect than the current Medicare program. Now, is that politically feasible? You do have one major party that is talk that is talking about moving toward vouchers for health insurance, which is something a little more like cash, but not really because the government is still telling you what you have to spend it on. Uh, what they should be doing is making Medicare look like Social Security, where they give you cash and trust you to spend it. So I think one of the things that's been striking, although the Republicans have been on record against Obamacare, I think they've largely been incredibly ineffectual at arguing against it and providing uh, an alternative. What do you see as the, the, the most... Um, promising avenue or where, where do they mess up the most in making the case for a freer healthcare market? And what would you suggest to somebody who wanted to be more effective in arguing for freedom in healthcare and against things like Obamacare and today's current Medicaid system? Well, I think that the, the main problem is that libertarians and objectivists and conservatives and Republicans have all just sort of ceded this, this issue to the left. And it's not without reason because, uh, when you're talking about free markets and healthcare, you're really talking about eliminating government subsidies. I mean, you can't have a, it's, it's not a free, really a free market if you have the government subsidizing uh, particular players or, or this entire sector of the economy, at the expense of other sectors of the economy. And so when you advocate for limiting government in this area, for freer markets, you become you, advocates of, 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 uh, socialized medicine or, or, or the Medicare program or what have you will uh, attack you and say that you're trying to take health care away from grandma. And after Republicans have been hit over the head with that one, uh, you know, for enough times, they finally realized, okay, we need to stop saying that. And they really just sort of started ignoring health care altogether, which is understandable because they've been getting beaten up, but it's unfortunate also because because they really do have the better argument. They and it and that is because the Medicare program, the Medicaid program, the government's favoring of employer sponsored insurance, 
licensing of insurance companies, licensing of clinicians, the Food and Drug Administration, certificate of need laws, and other barriers to entry into uh, healthcare markets. These have all made healthcare more expensive and worse, of lower quality. And so, the so what Republicans and conservatives and libertarians and objectivists need to do is be investing more resources and, and, and more time and attention in this issue so that we can make the case that actually the quality of care is going to be better if the government gets out and if gets out of the way. And if we can make that case to the American public and, and make it on the basis of quality, because it's another thing we tend to focus on cost more. If we make it on the basis of quality, that's what people care more about when it comes to healthcare. And they care about first their own healthcare for them and their families. And then they, they want to feel that the, 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 that the poor are being taken care of. If we can make the case that markets deliver better quality for those two groups of people, the people close to them and the most vulnerable in society, then we win on healthcare. Uh, and uh, and and it's the left that will be on the defensive. So you're on MSNBC, and they give you 15 seconds and accuse you of wanting to take away grandma's health care. How do you kind of bottle that up? Uh, <laughs> taking away grandma's health care? No, I want grandma to be in charge of her health care. And she will get much better health care if she's in charge of it than she is getting right now with the federal government in charge of it, driving up the cost of health care uh, and, 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 uh, and depriving her of, of, uh, of even higher quality health care. All right. I put you in the spot. That was great, though. How can uh, people follow your work? I blog at darwinsfool.com. Uh, and uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Darwin's Fool or at MF Cannon. My guest today has been Michael Cannon. Michael, thank you for being part of the Debt Dialogues. Anytime. At the end of our interview, Michael pointed out that to defeat Obamacare and move towards a free market, we have to be able to take the moral high ground from those who want to expand government's control over health care. Now, I think that's right, but it raises the question of how to do that. And what Michael said is true and important, that in a free market, uh, healthcare is better and cheaper, and that government programs like Obamacare actually make it more expensive, more bureaucratic, less effective, and less efficient. And so if you're concerned about that grandma who uh, is going to have her healthcare subsidy taken away if we free the market, no, in fact, she's going to be far better off. All of us are going to be better off who are productive because healthcare becomes better and more affordable. But I don't think that goes far enough. I think you have to challenge the underlying moral premise that there is a right to health care. A free market, yes, makes health care cheaper. It makes individuals richer and private charity and other forms of voluntary assistance are widespread. This is something, by the way, I catalog at length in my forthcoming book, Roosevelt Care, How Social Security is Sabotaging the Land of Self-Reliance. Nevertheless, on a free market, no one is entitled to health care. It's something you have to earn, just like every other good and every other service. To say that health care is a right is to say that some people are to be forced to provide or pay for your health care. What about their rights? No, your need supersedes their rights. 
And that is what we have to challenge and morally oppose in order to win the healthcare debate. We need to oppose the idea that a person is entitled to have his needs fulfilled by others. Now, how do you do that persuasively? That's a difficult question. And how to do it in a soundbite, like I gave the task to Michael, is unbelievably difficult. Um, we've talked a little bit about it in past podcasts. Uh, definitely see in particular my interviews with Ankar Gatte on the morality of the welfare state and Peter Schwartz on altruism. Nevertheless, as difficult as it, as difficult as it is, that is the challenge we face. There is no shortcut. With that, it's time to bring this podcast to a close. To learn more, you can visit endthedebtdraft.com. And for the latest, I encourage you to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash debtdraft, and let the world know that it's time to put an end to entitlement exploitation. See you next time. Debt Dialogues is property of the Ayn Rand Institute. Its content is intended for private use only.